Welcome to Tarati Macha Nachyomi with the Women's Initiative of the OU. And today we're going to begin with our learning of Nevi'im, particularly Nevi'im Rishonim, as we've already discussed. Again, really a technical division that was only used during the time post the printing press. But for all intents and purposes, this really is a very interesting transition, though, from the works of the Torah to the works of the Nevi'im. The transition from direct messages of Hashem to Moshe Rabbeinu to uh, the messages that we're going to hear through the Navi and the messages of HaKadosh Baruch Hu delivered through the Navi and our case Yehoshua. And the reason why this is not only a basic technical transition, but as we know, a significant transition in many regards. Sefer Yehoshua, which is not a work of history, is a rather going to teach us religious messages for then and now. Yehoshua, as we know, is going to serve as the successor to Moshe Rabbeinu, which helps us understand why at the very beginning of Sefer Yehoshua, we hear Hashem encouraging him three times over, chazak ve'ematz. Just imagine the fears that Yehoshua has at this point. Number one, the military fear, which is imminent. He's about to bring Am Yisrael to a country where there are in at least seven different nations that have been residing there. And they have to go now on a military conquest to literally conquer the land. In addition, then a religious challenge that faces is Yehoshua Benun, and namely that they're no longer going to be in a state of the Midbar where they're going to be listening to the mitzvah speeches of Moshe Rabbeinu from morning to evening. Now they're going to enter a land and they're transitioning their entire society to that of an agrarian society. They're going to have to work the land. They're going to have to sow the land. They're going to harvest from the land. How are they going to be able to continue with their religious, spiritual lifestyles? And Hashem encourages not to worry. They're still going to be, in addition to the mitzvot hatzluyot va'aretz that are going to accompany Am Yisrael through every stage of their agricultural cycle, they're going to continue to learn Torah. Okay, how about the personal transition of Yehoshua Benun, somehow filling the huge shoes of Moshe Rabbeinu? Hashem encourages Yehoshua as well, not to worry, just as I've been with Moshe Rabbeinu, so too I will be with you, and we're going to explore this at the beginning of Sefer Yehoshua. And how about another transition? Namely, again, these people who have been living in, in the Midbar, being provided with everything that they have from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, whether it's the man that they receive every morning, slav that they receive in the evenings, now they're going to enter and they have to work for their own food. They're going to become, instead of a dependently-based society, an independently-based society, which once again is not only an economic challenge, but a religious challenge as well. Are they still going to appreciate that even in Lechem Min Haaretz is in fact Lechem Min HaShamayim. Let's then take a look at the themes that we find in Sefer Yehoshua. From the beginning, HaKadosh Baruch Hu basically is going to set the scene. Yehoshua is told by Hashem time and time again, just as I was with Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm going to be with you as well. And therefore, each one of the aforementioned challenges is going to be addressed in the first few chapters of Sefer Yehoshua. Namely, I am both going to ensure that the people are going to have a method, they're going to have to continue to learn Torah. With regard to the military fear, not to worry. Hashem says, any time or any place where you are going to set foot, any place that you initiate conquest, I will ensure is going to be conquered. Now, please keep in mind then that this is not an unconditional promise of complete conquest. Hashem is basically saying, if you initiate, then then you will be able to conquer. What is already implied here? If you do not step up to conquer, then 
there is the possibility that that land will not be conquered. And this is part of the way of Hashem encouraging Yehoshua to then enjoin Avam Yisrael to take that initiative, that initiative that is going to accompany them in every aspect of their lifestyle right now, their military lifestyle, their economic lifestyle. But at the same time, the danger then inherent in this independence and initiative, and that is forgetting God. And that's where the Navi is going to have to come in time and time again and remind them that whether it is their military victories or whether it is their economic success, all of this comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So let's take a look and see how Sefer Yoshua, in fact, sets the tone not only for all the future Nevi'im that we're going to learn in our Nach study program, but certainly sets the tone for how we're supposed to enter Eretz Yisrael, a very relevant Sefer then for our generation that is really at the crux of this transition as well. So uh, as we look at the first parak, we find that Yehoshua is uh, going to address Am Yisrael a month after Yehoshua passes away, saying, in three more days, we're going to be crossing the Yardin. Very soon in the fourth parak, we hear that they actually cross on Yud Nisan, teaching us that it must be that Moshe Rabbeinu passed away on Zion Adar exactly a month and three days earlier. But before Yehoshua, after encouraging the people, after being told by Hashem that just as Hashem was with Moshe, he's going to be with Yehoshua, the first story that we hear is how Yehoshua reminds Reuven and Gad, the Chalutzim, that they're going to have to be the ones to enter Eretz Yisrael and protect Am Yisrael upon their initial wars. They agreed just as we were with Moshe, just as we promised Moshe, Yehoshua, we will definitely fulfill our word as well. This is a, certainly then encouraging for Yehoshua. Yehoshua then revisits Moshe Rabbeinu's course of action by sending out Meraglim. But this, this time, it isn't going to be a miraglim of the type to offer any type of commentary. He literally needs miraglim. He needs military spies who are going to be able to see how to conquer the fortified walls of Yericho. And therefore, when they go, they cross over and they are going to make their way to Rahav Hazona's house in the walls of Yericho. But interestingly, instead of returning with any type of military report, they actually return with a spiritual commentary. They already set the tone as well for Yoshua to know that even though it is important that there should be some type of military initiative, you have nothing to worry about. The people themselves are so afraid of us. That's what they hear about, certainly in Rahav Hazona's company. They uh, know that everyone else is afraid because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is on their side. Which brings us now to how they actually enter Eretz Yisrael. If the Meraglim, these two uh, unidentified Meraglim, were able to make it into the areas of Yericho without any major miracle, then why is it that Am Yisrael need a miracle as we find in Perikimel? Why do they need a miracle, a Bikiat HaYardain, for the waters to split? But now we know that they don't really need it with regard to with the physical miracle of crossing into Eretz Yisrael. They need it, and Yehoshua needs it. They need to know that as they cross the Yardin, and as the Yardin is going to miraculously not necessarily split, but rather dry up, the waters are going to stop, again, by the areas of Adam, and then they're going to uh, literally continue down, creating a dry path for all of Am Yisrael to be able to cross opposite of the area of Yericho with the Aron Brit Hashem, Adon Hashem Tzvakot, leading them into Eretz Yisrael. This uh, certainly is going to reassociate them with the stories of Kriyat Yamsuf, remembering that just as Hashem was with Moshe, Hashem is with Yehoshua. Just as the miracles of Yitiat Mitzrayim took place, now they are going to be able to revisit them 
time and not only revisit the miracles, but ultimately revisit the entire fulfillment of Brit Ben Haftarim and Brit Milah, the Brit that Hashem had given the Avot. And that's why in Sefer Yoshua, we're going to find various associations, whether it's that Rachav has to leave out a chutshani, a scarlet thread on the opening, the entrance of her home, the Chalon, to remind us of the Karban Pesach and the Dam on the Mezuzot of the Bayit, the Batim of Bnei Yisrael or whether it's going to be, in fact, even the dates. Let's take a look. They cross the Yardin on Yud Nisan, right after they cross with this miracle that reminds them of leaving Mitzrayim. We're then told that when they do come, they have to now circumcise themselves because it's a few days before Karban Pesach time. They haven't sacrificed Karban Pesach in 39 years, since the first year after they left Mitzrayim. And even though it was very, very dangerous to circumcise themselves, we also know that it's not yet time for them to fulfill the mitzvot Hatsuyot Ba'aretz. Now that they're finally in Eretz Yisrael, they're going to re-circumcise themselves, reminding us of the fulfillment a Brit Milah, the covenant that Hashem had given Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov with regard to the promise of a nation, together now with entering the land, which is the fulfillment of Brit Bein Habtarim, that we began with by the slaughtering of the Karban Pesach in Mitzrayim, reminiscent of how Avram Avinu had to slaughter his own animals, and now we get to re-slaughter the Karban Pesach, this time as Hashem had promised, Am Yisrael have now fulfilled what started with Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Now in Eretz Yisrael, Hashem says, I finally rid you. Galoti et harpat ma'alechem. You are now coming into the land. Perfect timing indeed. Because if they're now coming into the land and have an opportunity to uh, participate in the fulfillment of Brit Bein Haftarim and Karban Pesach, then at the very same time, they're also no longer going to be receiving man. Now, just as they went from the transition in Mitzrayim, from eating chametz, literally the bread of the land of Egypt, to eating matzah on the eve of their salvation from Mitzrayim, to 40 years of eating man in the desert, coming into Eretz Yisrael, the man stopping, what do they eat now for seven days? The seven-day matzah eating festival. And now thereafter, they're going to be ready to already create their sourdough bread, to start with the formation and literally the fermentation of chametz, from Eretz Yisrael. So what this already brings us through the fifth chapter of Sefer Yoshua, where now we're going to be ready to enter and literally fight our wars beginning with Yericho. Here it's imperative that we recognize a little bit of the topography of Eretz Yisrael. One of the advantages of learning Tanakh, and especially Sparim, such as Yehoshua, in Eretz Yisrael of today, when we can actually see and witness and tour these places, because what Yehoshua is attempting to do is ultimately divide and conquer. He understands that the major alliances are going to be in the mountains, just as most, most of the Canaanite settlements, all ancient civilization for that matter, going to be literally condensed in the mountains for the sake of security, certainly also for the rainwater, and therefore Yehoshua brilliantly says, let's start with, as Hashem said, Yericho, and from Yericho, we're going to go to Ai, Givon, basically try to divide up the alliances through the mountain area. Let's see what happens. The first war, as we know, a very spiritual war. We're going to learn this parak very much and seeing how it, not only are the people revisiting Mamat Har Sinai, as they literally have to circle and blow the shofarot, but this is their way of recognizing as they enter Eretz Yisrael that the land belongs to God, that their military victories belong to God, and therefore it really is a miraculous victory with the walls of Yericho falling down. As a result, Hashem tells and warns Yehoshua to let all of Am Yisrael know, Ir Yericho Chirim. Ir Yericho has to say as 
a monument of debris, recognizing that it's not their city, it's HaKadosh Baruch Hu city. And therefore, Yehoshua, at the end of Perik Vav, tells Am Yisrael, Arur ha'ish lefnei Hashem, asher yakum uvana et ha'ir hazot, et Yericho, cursed be the person who ever rebuilds Yericho, because as such he's undermining a recognition that the military victory belongs to Hashem. Bibchoro yiyasdena uvetiro yatsivd lateha. As he's establishing the foundation, his oldest son will die. As he's hanging on the hinges of the doorpost, his youngest son will die. Please keep this in mind when we take a look at Sefer Malachim, the time period of Eliyahu Hanavi. And now we continue with the next war. Oh no, we're not ready. The Navi tells us, Immediately, the messages of the Navi, as we've already discussed, are not going to be historical, but rather religious. We have to know that, unfortunately, any time these messages are undermined, there are going to be severe consequences for Am Yisrael. And even though very soon we find out that the person who had taken from the spoils of Yericho is, in fact, one individual from one family in the tribe of Yehuda, is Achan ben Karmi. Nonetheless, all of Am Yisrael are considered guilty in this case because they are culpable of allowing for someone to do this. There must have been some type of zeitgeist in the air of not fully recognizing that this is the war of Hashem. And as such, it reflected also in a little bit of audacity, their confidence, maybe even overconfidence, in only sending as they tell Yehoshua, no, we only need Gana just a couple of thousand of people to go and fight the area of Ai. Unfortunately, we know that we were unsuccessful. 36 members, every exact one is going to be counted, are going to be killed in the war against Ai. And Yehoshua, so surprised, is told by Hashem, well, that's because there was a spirit in the people that didn't recognize that these wars are really those of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So after Achan is punished in the area of Emekachor, we're then able to continue the story. And we think that now we're gonna continue along the military victories as all of Am Yisrael's encamped on the eastern area again, directly to the west of the Ardain in Gilgal. And therefore, we'd expect to hear the military conquest. The Navi tells us, Perekret, nope, time to go up to Shechem. Now it's time for us to fulfill what Moshe Rabbeinu had implored of his entire generation in Parshat Kitavo. When you come into the land, then you're going to go to the area of Hargrizim Harival. You're going to literally re-accept the Brit, the covenant of HaKadosh Baruch Hu at Har Sinai. You're going to recognize that what you had said at Har Sinai with regard to accepting upon yourself the covenant, a relationship of Torah and mitzvot, it's now going to be manifest in Eretz Yisrael. Namely, not only are you also going to have to fulfill the mitzvot Hatzliyot Ba'aretz, the mitzvot dependent on the on the land, but now you'll be able to see the direct consequences through the land. When you listen to the mitzvot of Hashem, you're going to see this through the success of the bounty of the land. And if not, then then you will not see any rainfall. This is what the people reaccept. And beautifully placed, as the Parshanim, the Tanaim explain, that even if this isn't necessarily chronologically exactly where the story of Shechem took place. The story of the Brits, it's important for us to know that it did happen here. Right between the failure, the defeat of Ai, and then ultimately a brilliant ambush success against Ai in order to explain that once Am Yisrael re-accept their commitments to Hashem, and then we find that we're successful. Let's continue that now. Not only do they win the war of Ai, but it seems that it's Yehoshua 
Hua is going to be told together with Hashem how to win this war. And we begin to see a certain type of interdependence. On one hand, HaKadosh Baruch who gives directives of the ambush. On the other hand, Yehoshua is actually giving the instructions as well, helping us understand this transition from a completely God, godly, miraculous war to the human initiative as well. So through a brilliant display, not only of prowess, but belief in Hashem and brilliant ambush as they basically lead the people of Ai away from the city only to attack them as they then lead their way back into the city. Again, here we find that Yehoshua recognizes and teaches Am Yisrael as well, again, the reason for their success. Uh-oh, at that point, we have the next city in the line of the dividing and conquering, the people of Givon. The people of Givon, who understand that they're next for Yoshua to conquer, will disguise themselves as if they're really peoples who are living on the eastern side of the Jordan River that Yoshua does not have an imperative to destroy. And therefore, they come and arrange a peace treaty with them, only for Yoshua to find out that they were in disguise. So on one hand, Yoshua was going to keep to his word. On the other hand, he will make them into the slaves, literally the woodchoppers and the water carriers for Am Yisrael through, as we'll see, the time of Shaul HaMelech. This is significant, though, in that immediately thereafter, we hear that the surrounding Canaanite nations, very upset that the Givonim have arranged for their own treaty with Am Yisrael, are coming to attack Givon. And Hashem assures Yehoshua, this is to your advantage. Now you're going to have all the southern, southern Canaanite nations in one area which is exactly what Yoshua takes advantage of as well. So again, we find this symbiotic relationship between the human initiative and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, telling and encouraging Yehoshua how to win the war. Sure enough, the five major cities of the south come to attack in Givon. Yehoshua is going to chase them away with then the godly miracle of Shemesh Begivon Dom V'yarech Be'emek Ayalon. The only way to fully conquer the kings of these cities is through what running through at the Emek where they could easily then hide out in caves. Yehoshua asked that Hashem stop the sun where it is so he's able to capture these kings, ultimately destroy their cities. This already gives us a sense as to how these wars are working. Keep in mind that not only are Ru'uven Gad Menashe leading the people as Chalutzim, but these are going to be nationally oriented wars. Basically, the people who have been counted in the census that we find at the end of Sefer Bamidbar, they're going to participate in these wars. In the meantime, the women, the children, they're going to be in the encampments of Gilgal. We find that this is going to take place, as Chazal teach us, for seven years, these nationally oriented wars. This is where they're going to be able to conquer most of the larger cities in Eretz Yisrael. But keep in mind that the surrounding villages, that little pockets of civilizations, are yet to be conquered. And we'll see how significant this is when Yoshua manages to also hear about an alliance of the northern tri the northern nations of Canaan and once again using this as his advantage to go and conquer the northern alliance as well so that by Perak Yudbet, we have a beautiful, what's known as Shir Malchei Kna'an, a beautiful depiction, a military victory song, a national military victory song, teaching us of all the major cities, both of the south and of the north, that Yehoshua, together with Am Yisrael, had conquered. But in Perak Yudgemel, Yehoshua recognizes that the people are rather restless. He understands that if they're going to continue in these national wars, they must now be divided, really, on a tribal level. The only way that they're going to be inspired to go ahead and conquer is if they know that they're conquering their own homesteads, their own backyards. 
and therefore he brings them all to the place of the Mishkan. He is going to move the Arom Vritashem that has been in Gilgal, he is going to move it to none other than the area of Shiloh. And why does he choose Shiloh? After all, Hashem had said in Sefer Dvarim Hamakom Hashayif Har Hashem. Here is one excellent example of how a Navi interprets the words of Hashem. Well, what could possibly be the place that Hashem will select? Hamakom Asheriv Har Hashem. Yehoshua, looking at all the different stories in Tanakh, certainly Sefer Breshit, the last time that Hashem had appeared to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov prior to Am Yisrael's re-entrance into the land of Israel, most of those revelations took place in places like Shechem and places like Beit El. So Yehoshua chooses a place right between those areas, in Shiloh, between Shechem and between Beit El. In addition, Shiloh is in the heart of Shevet Ephraim. We know that Yehoshua hails from Shevet Ephraim, which has various advantages. Not only is it literally hard and center at this point geographically in Eretz Yisrael, enabling three times a year people are going to come to Shiloh and a very central area. But it's also the place then of human government. This is where Yehoshua is also going to serve as leader. So through recognition of political leadership, hopefully the people will be more sensitive to divine leadership as well. And how do we know that Yehoshua's choice of Shiloh was an excellent choice? Well, we know that it's going to stay in Shiloh for 369 years. So what happens in Shiloh? Yehoshua brings all the Shvatim together and tells them, now you're going to go and divide and conquer your lands. Which lands? Which are the Shvatim? Which are the Nachalot that the various tribes are supposed to go and conquer? Well, he reviews how Reuven and God were given lands based on not just Moshe Rabbeinu, but Moshe consulting with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, together with uh, the agreements that they come. But then we find something remarkable. Perak Yudala Pasugvav teaches us, Vayikshu Yehuda El Yehoshua Bagilgal that already before even the scene in Shiloh, that the people of Yehoshua, of Shevet Yehuda, came to Yehoshua in Gilgal and said, you know, we also have lands that have been promised to us, particularly Kalev ben Yifuneh. Do you remember our wonderful tribal leader who was one of two of the Meraglim who did not speak badly about Eretz Yisrael and therefore he is allowed to come into Eretz Yisrael, and not only that, he was promised that he's going to have lands in Eretz Yisrael. Ata hinei says Kalev, kasher diberza el Moshe. So now I want to go and I want to conquer my area. What does he mean, my area? The area that Moshe Rabbeinu had told the Meraglim to go to, namely start by Negev and go to Har. Start in the area of Hebron. We're all familiar with the famous Midrash of Kalev stopping by Marat HaMachpelah, asking the Avot for Koach to be able to withstand the Dibara'ah, the evil words of the Meraglim. Now we see it clearly here in a Sefer Yehoshua. Yehoshua tells Kalev, go ahead, then you can go and conquer the southern area of Eretz Yisrael, which is in fact what Kalev does. So this sets the tone for us understanding the ensuing chapters of Sefer Yehoshua. On one hand, there are certain lands that have been predetermined, Yana by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But what does that really mean? As we take a look also, again, as we will, as Ratashim soon introduce Sefer Shoftim, that also means that there are certain lands, certain territories, Nachalot and Eretz Yisrael, that really are a little more indigenous to certain tribes. 
Yehuda knows that they're supposed to get the southern area. Kalev says, I'm going to go and conquer the hills of Hebron. Perhaps because Yehuda was given by Yaakov the promise of Malchut and thereby the promise of inheriting basically not the Bechorah of Yaakov, but in fact his back backyard, which is the area of Hebron. And sure enough, we hear then all the areas that Yehuda one of the strongest and largest tribes, how Yehuda conquered very well. Again, all of their, again, and what it means, their tribes, their territories, basically they used topographical borders. Next, in addition to hearing the areas of Nachalat Yehuda, we hear in Perek Tetzayin, Vayetzei HaGoral Livnei Yosef. So on one hand, we have the idea of Goral. It seems that they were supposed to get that area. It was predetermined. There was a lottery. Well, we, we find the lottery, as we also found in Sefer Bamidbar, the very end of the Sefer also teaches us, yes, there's a goral to determine the larger tribes get larger nachalot, but exactly how far reaching those nachalot are, exactly what the borders are, we find that's up to the tribes. Well, Ephraim and Menashe, the children of Yosef, get their double portion as Yaakov had promised Yosef. And not only that, they know they're gonna get the area of Shechem, how do they know they get the area of Shechem? Well, Yaakov promised Yosef in Mitzrayim, Shechem echad le'achacha. Of course you're going to have the area of Shechem. So Shechem till today is divided. That's going to be the dividing line between Ephraim and Menashe. But also significant to pay attention to the topography. They go to Yehoshua. There are too many trees. And Yehoshua says, you want to live in that area? Cut the trees down. Again, Hashem gives you the land, but what you do with it is up to you. And this is going to be the theme throughout the continuation of Sefer Yehoshua. You have it within your power. And sure enough, we know that beyond Reuven, God, Yehuda, Ephraim and Menashe, these five strong, strong tribes, unfortunately, the other seven tribes, we find by Perek Yudchet, they have not properly conquered their Nachalot. Certainly Dan has not conquered the area of the western coast. So during the same time that Am Yisrael are coming in from the eastern side in about 1300 BCE, the Plishtim are coming from the Mediterranean Sea. And instead of us driving them out, they remain there. So did Hashem fulfill the promises of Sefer Yehoshua? Yehoshua teaches us as he writes the Sefer post facto that yes, if you, you would have only gotten up and fulfilled the words of Hashem, whether it's as Yehoshua tells Yehuda, Yosef, Ru'uven God, then you'll be successful. Unfortunately, the seven other tribes were not successful. In other words, they do secure part of the land, certainly the areas that Yehoshua had secured for them on a national level, but that meant that there are going to be little pockets surrounding them. There are going to be many people of Canaan who still remain there, which unfortunately is going to set the scene, not only for the end of Sefer Yehoshua, where Yehoshua implores of them, and are you going to continue to keep the Brit of Hashem? He brings them back, not to Shiloh, the place of the Mishkan, but rather to Shechem. Do you remember your Brit? Do you remember your covenant? Do you remember and the commitment that you made to God here? Are you going to continue with that commitment? Or are you going to allow for the infiltration of all the cultural areas around you to influence you? Are you going to follow them? Yoshua recognizes that the people who on one hand have now divvied up into their tribes, recognizing that on one hand, they're supposed to appreciate and recognize their tribal resources, on the other hand appreciates, and now the challenge is going to be to somehow take these tribes and form a confederation, take these tribes and form one nation. 
one nation that will be able to come together under strong leadership. But because the people were not sufficiently united, and because by the ends of Sefer Yehoshua, we already see that the scene is set for different nations having an effect and influence on Am Yisrael, we're going to see that they're not yet ready for the promise of Malchut. They're not yet ready for the promise of unified leadership of a nation. Stay tuned for the continuation in Sefer Shoftim.